Recently, I watched Trevor Noah's comedy special called Son of Patricia online. Anyone else see it? You should check it out. Yeah, good. For those of you who don't know who he is, uh, Noah is the host of The Daily Show. He was born in South Africa and is the child of a black South African woman, Patricia, and his father, Robert, is white. During apartheid, any romantic mixing between people of different skin colors was legally prohibited and punishable, generally for the black person, with imprisonment. Trevor's skin color, a blend of this brown woman and tan man, made his existence a crime, and it made his mom a criminal. And because it was illegal for his parents to live together, young Trevor spent much of his early years hiding living in abject poverty that was relegated for blacks during the South African time of discrimination. And now, decades later, Noah is an internationally known celebrity, living in the U.S. with more wealth and luxury than he could have ever imagined growing up in the shanty towns of Johannesburg. In this special, he tells the story of planning a vacation with a friend here in America who suggested that for a relaxing getaway, they should go camping. The I, did not did, the I did did not sit very well with him. For a person who grew up with unstable housing, limited electricity, questionable drinking water, and no plumbing, <laughs> the thought of going out into a remote area in the wilderness without basic conveniences like a bathroom or a bed might not have been their idea of real relaxation. The wilderness, by definition, is an uncultivated, uninhabited, inhospitable region, a rough and treacherous geography. For many, the mere thought of being there suggests that you're in a place that's unsafe. It might be full of dangerous animals or challenges you must overcome, threats you can neither see nor control. And most New Yorkers I know want the ability to talk their way or to buy their way or maybe Uber their way out of difficult situations. <laughs> and you can't do that in the wilderness. I don't think they have Uber there. The concept of wilderness can show up in our lives in a variety of forms. Whether if you, or not you've been to the highest mountains or to the dense, densest forests or felt the searing heat of the desert, I would guess that each and every person that's here today and watching online has experienced their own sense of personal wilderness in some way. Maybe it was the shock of an unexpected diagnosis or the unforeseen interruption in a previously happy relationship that drove you into the wilderness. Maybe your job ended and you had no means to support yourself and, and that placed you in a financial wilderness. Or it could have been that habit, that thing that you like to do that grew into a dependency, that grew into an addiction, that became an emotional and physical wilderness. Or could it be that wilderness is all you've ever known? It's not just an occasion, it's a way of life. Is it the body you were or weren't born into or the truth that you know that other people said made you unacceptable? I have a friend named Chad who <clears throat> is a
is a talented poet and author and playwright. He has a collection of poems called Born 1,000 Years Too Early. <laughs> Fat, dark-skinned, gay, and adopted by white folks. <laughs> a fragmentary journey towards alignment. In reading his work, I get the impression that life has always been seen from the perspective of one living on the edge of society, never from the center, always on the outside. Chad knows life from the wilderness. Maybe some of you do too. But as hard as it is to endure the chill of emotional isolation or the burn of social stigma and shame, today's reading tells us that it's exactly in the midst of the dangerous and desperate wilderness where God shows up and has decided to do something new. In this second week of Advent, we're not listening to stories of Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. There are no angels with messages to proclaim, but a lone man living outside the bounds of polite society and religious conformity. The text tells us the word of God met John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Now, John is an unlikely character in an unexpected place. Luke's gospel tells us, or doesn't tell us why he was there. We know he came from a good family. His father had a respectable job as a priest in the temple. Yet in spite of his privilege and status, John lived as an outcast. Matthew's gospel tells us his clothes were made of camel hair and he wore a leather belt around his waist. Now, I know that some of you think that's a classically, like uh, that's, that look is always fashionable and will never go out of style. Patty, I'm thinking about you. But in the first century Palestine, it marked John as an outsider, one who lived off the rough of the land. John was a survivalist, eating locusts and wild honey. He would have been a great contestant on Survivor, or maybe Man versus Wild. But he was not there for public recognition or claim. John was a prophet. And like those who came before him, found himself not only in a geographic wilderness, but a political and a spiritual one also. Under the reign of Emperor Tiberius, the Jewish people were a despised class. Those who could not be conscripted into the Roman army to oppress their people or agreed to renounce their faith were treated as less than human by the Roman supremacists. And much like our government treats immigrants, Muslims, poor people, gender nonconforming, and people of color today, those who weren't sent into exile faced threats and exploitation and assaults on their humanity every day. That's, that's another thing about wilderness. You don't have to go to it. Sometimes it comes to you. So in that space, John preaches repentance. He's reminding people in that time and in our time that there is another way of being human. Political power and wealth are not the path of the one who comes to show us the fullness of God's love. John was preparing the way for Jesus, who came to upset the marketplace, to open wide the dates of the, the doors of the jailhouse, to set the scales of justice right in the courthouse, and to heal bitter and broken hearts in and outside the church house. Repent and be baptized, was his cry. 
John offered a chance to, to start over, to start again, to try love again. But at the same time, he offered those words to those who came to hear him. He also offered something that all people who hunger and work for justice long for. He offered them hope. On this second Sunday of Advent, we lit two candles today. The first was for hope, and the second one was for peace. And I found a definition of hope that, that I really liked. It says, hope is an optimistic state of mind based on expectation of positive outcomes with respect to events in one's life and for the world at large. When we light these candles, we remember that hope is more than a feeling. Hope is a practice. Hope is the incubator, the catalyst for all the dreams we have for ourselves and for the world. When we want to see justice as, was it was Brooks, where Brooks asked about justice, when we want to see justice embodied through right relationships and fair treatment in our nation and around the world, we begin with hope that we can make that so. When our hearts are breaking, watching thousands of asylum seekers marching, infants and mothers and fathers, the peace we want for them begins with hope. When we, when we seek repair in our personal lives, healing from addiction, relief from depression, peace in our household, all of that begins with hope. Middle Church, I have a confession to make today, though. One of the greatest challenges I've encountered in the past two years has been holding on to hope. Yes, I'm a person of faith, I'm a Christian, I believe in God and Jesus, and I'm a pastor. And like John and Jesus, it's my calling to proclaim God's truth, God's grace, and God's love for all people. But I will also say that as a black man, whose parents grew up in the segregated South and were the first in their families to go to, to college, who taught us as kids that getting good grades and always doing what's right would keep us safe. It's sometimes hard for me to have hope for my position in life and for people who look like me because I've learned that what they taught me is not always true. In the US, black people and other people of color are criminalized and incarcerated at exponential rates just because of the color of our skin. Today, as we sit here, there are children and parents fleeing through the wilderness of Central America, just like Jesus and Mary and Joseph did, looking for asylum, for shelter, for water and food, and our, shelter, and our soldiers will meet them with tear gas and bullets. In 2018, Native American women are still being abducted and sold into sexual slavery from the U.S. around the world. Flint still doesn't have clean drinking water, and many in Puerto Rico are without power, and the list goes on and on, and all of this is rooted in our country's addiction to white supremacy, patriarchy, and greed. But friends, I tell you, there is a voice crying in the wilderness. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Pre-ee-ee, -e, pare ye the way 
of the Lord. In this Advent season of 2018, the prophet John reminds us, middle, that just as the word of God found a wild man in the wilderness of first century Palestine, the word of God meets each and every one of us in our rough and wild and untamed places of our lives. God's promise of unconditional love gives us hope that we can work, we can advocate and legislate for peace and that we, and when we do that, we can make the crooked places maybe a little more straight and the rough places a little more smooth. And it's not that we get to do this. Friends, we have to do this. It's how we share in ushering in the reign of God and the hope that we proclaim in the wilderness and at the border and at our job and on our block is just a taste of the love and justice that God is bringing into the world, but we have to be about it. We have to do it. When I see violence around me, the resurgence of white supremacy and misogyny, the injustice, the hate and the pain, it feels overwhelming. Sometimes I, I, I struggle with hope but then in those moments, I remember the words of Maya Angelou that said, I am the dream and the hope of the slave. I'm remind re reminded that my ancestors endured backbreaking labor and the lash of the whip on their backs through the period of enslavement. I'm reminded that millions upon millions of people through every culture and every time have suffered through some political wilderness of tyrants and dictators, oppression and execution. But we hold on to hope because without hope, there can be no peace. And we, Middle Church, are their hope. You are their hope. I am their hope. Together, we carry on the hope that was begun in them. Life in the wilderness is often typified as suffering. There is always work. There is little comfort, little relief, little peace. But Romans 5 tells us that when we stand up against suffering, whether it's the suffering that we're experiencing or the suffering of our neighbor or maybe someone we don't even know, that when we do that, we're producing endurance. And endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us because it inspires us to believe that God's love has been poured out into our lives and our hearts and the hearts of all people so that one day all people in all places will celebrate the liberating love of God. As I close, I want you to hear the text that Caroline read, but I want to hear it with a slight edit. So, in the second year of the Trump administration, when Ron DeSantis became governor of Florida and Brian Kemp removed hundreds of thousands of voters from the rolls to become governor of Georgia and Cindy Hyde-Smith was made senator of Mississippi while Kavanaugh and Gorsuch were seated on the nation's highest court, the word of God came to the people of Middle. The word of God came to the people of middle and they went into all the region around the Hudson and the East River 
around Sarah Roosevelt Park and El Grito de las Fronteras in Puerto Rico, proclaiming a law of love for the forgiveness of sin for all people. There were many voices crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make God's path straight. Hope is on the way. Amen.